We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. You could find him contributing to Spot Track, Celtics Blog, and the front office show. Keith, what's going on? Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Always fun to do the show with you guys. Absolutely, absolutely. I know we're missing Alex today, but Keith, we've uh, we've, we've kicked it one on one a few times before, and uh, <laughs> you know uh, it, it's always a good time. So we're here to talk about you know Keith. Obviously, you uh, your expertise very much not only in the NBA but overall the Celtics, and I think that the Pacers and Celtics two teams. You know, you could quite honestly, say going in opposite directions, all right? One is coming off of an NBA Finals appearance. The other coming off their worst season in, in about 30-plus years. So, uh, you know, two opposite ends. But both teams were intertwined from a trade that happened this offseason. It was the trade that sent Malcolm Brogdon to the Celtics, and the Pacers got a Celtics 2023 first-round pick, Aaron Neesmith, Daniel Tice, and let's face it, uh, Probably a bunch of loose change you might find in between your couch cushions. Um, they ended up getting waived, but what were your thoughts on the deal for both teams, and how did you view it from each team's perspective? Yeah, huge surprise. This was one that really came out of nowhere. I don't think any of us expected uh, this to be kind of the Celtics' major move of the, of the offseason. And I think for Boston, they have shown a willingness to, uh, unlike under Danny Ainge, um, who, you know, he wanted to keep his draft picks. And let's be honest, that worked out several times with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Robert Williams and, and some others. Um, but he did, did under uh, Brad Stevens, 
they've shown a willingness to move draft picks. They traded a pick to get off Kemba Walker's salary and bring back Al Horford. They traded a pick in season last year to get Derek White. And now they've traded another pick to go get Malcolm Brogdon. And I think that is kind of Brad Stevens saying, hey, we're close. Like we're, we're right there. We're in game six of the finals. If we'd had a little bit better bench production, a little bit uh, more stabilizing force um you know with within our team we, we would have been better off and we might have ended up winning a championship and that's what they're hoping for with Brogdon and I think from the Pacers side this was a chance to get off that long-term money uh for a guy who probably didn't have the same future left there after uh, some other moves they'd made with their roster and pick up you know a guy in Aaron Neesmith who's you know I think a very good flyer for them and then go get another first round pick that you know should definitely convey to them at some point in the first round uh, this year unless the wheels really fall off on Boston so I, I think this is one of those ones where you understand it from both sides and I think both teams did pretty well here. Yeah I mean look I would be very surprised if that pick did not convey but at the same point when the Pacers made a trade with Cleveland last year, the, um, the Cavs were in the third spot and they ended up missing the playoffs. So the Pacers did not get that first-round pick from Cleveland. However, following the Donovan Mitchell trade, that pick should convey, and I do expect the Celtics pick to convey this year. So Pacers should be looking at three first-round picks. However, when you mentioned uh, getting Brogdon's salary off the books, roughly $66, uh, $67 million owed to Brogdon over the next three seasons. So I think it was an opportunity where – he was kind of like blocking Tyrese Halliburton from being able to fully flourish and be the, you know, the, the starting point guard of this team. But also it looks like Brogdon's going to be accepting about a six man role with the Celtics, which I think is perfect on a contender. Then you mentioned you know, Aaron Neesmith. Look, I think that's the guy that Pacer Nation really wants to learn more about. We're talking about a former lottery pick, 14th overall, a sharpshooter from college and a guy that shot 37% from three his rookie year. What do we need to know about Neesmith? Was it just that this was a, a team trying to win it all and, and it was hard for really get him to get him minutes? Or was there something that maybe he's lacking in his game? I think it's a little bit of both. But I think the part he's lacking is he needs more consistent reps and experience to be on the floor very regularly. And I think with the Celtics, that was just hard to come by. They, you know, it just in front of him at the positions he plays, which is really the two and the three out on the wing. They already had Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. So that's already a hard group to crack into. Then at the beginning of the year, you had Dennis Schroeder very heavily involved with the team. So that bumped Marcus Smart to the two a lot. So again, Neesmith, not going to get past. He was competing with Romeo Langford, another guy who was drafted in basically the same spot in the draft as he was just a year or two before. So that was another challenge for him. And then when they got Derek White, that was basically, that's it. There's not going to be any minutes for Aaron Neesmith. And that was a, all right, we're trying to go win this thing right now. We feel really good about where we're at. So, you know what, Neesmith, we'll figure it out with you down the line. We'll, we'll get there. And then I think the Celtics really looked at it and said, all right, by the time he's ready to contribute to winning, we'll already be probably another two years down the line with this when this team is built to win today. So I think that was their big push of let, let's move him along uh, with the draft capital with obviously Daniel Tice and then a handful of guys who were salary throw-ins to make the trade work. We're going to get Brogdon. We're going to bring him in because he better fits what we need right now today in the moment as a contender. And then I think Neesmith for him, this is a great opportunity to get a chance to play on a team where it's you know, not trying to be 
snarky or rude or anything, but they're rebuilding. And it is a point where they're probably not going to be very good. So if Neesmith goes through a cold stretch where he's not knocking down shots, it's not the end of the world because it's not like you're costing, you know, uh, playoff seating or anything like that. Hey, no offense taken. We are <laughs> definitely rebuilding. I know the Pacers like to call it retooling. However sure. you want to put a bow on it overall, we're starting fresh. Now, Neesmith, like I mentioned, 14th overall pick, still young, entering year three. Pacers have a history of developing young talent that hadn't lived up to their potential elsewhere. We saw Jalen Smith being the latest example of that. So, like I mentioned before, Neesmith known for being a three-point shooter. But can you be able to can you shed some light on maybe his defense? Because the Celtics were one of, if not the top defensive unit last year. And I figure, hey, if you're not really all there defensively, it's got to be tough to get a lot of minutes on, on a team like Boston. Exactly. And if you can't defend and uh, likely can't, um, I'm not going to say lock down guys off Mm -hmm. switches, but you need to be able to hold your own on switches. You're not going to play for the Celtics. It's, it's pretty simple. Um, If you can't do that, you're, you're out of the rotation. And see you later. And and for Neesmith, that is one place where he really was able to hold his own. Um, he you know very lovingly acquired the nickname Crash uh, from from uh, Celtics media and then Celtics fans because he is just this chaotic ball of energy when he comes into the game. He's just you you will see him hit the floor and then he's just kind of all over the place and. Sometimes that's great. Other times that leads to, oh man, he bit on that one and now he's wiped a guy out in the third row underneath the basket. It's just, that's how it goes with him at times. But this is a kid who he will really, you know, he'll run the floor hard. He'll get after guys. He'll get up into guys. He's a lot more athletic than I think people give him credit for. I think a lot of times there's this thought of, oh, he's a college shooter. So he must just be that's kind of what he does. He hangs out on the perimeter and he's slow foot. He is actually pretty athletic. He, he's really good at crashing the boards um, on both ends of the floor. So I think with a little bit more freedom, you're going to see that kind of come out. Now we'll see if some of his, uh, you know, I don't want to say freelancing, but his, his, uh, you know, uh, hyper energetic uh, defensive tendencies, if that falls apart outside of having, you know, four other strong defenders on the floor with him, which he almost always did in Boston. We'll see how that comes together. But, you know, I, I think all the tools are there for him to be a really, you know, solid wing defender. He's never going to be somebody I think who's going to be an all defense level guy, but he's also never going to be someone teams are going to actively look to pick on. It's all for him. It's going to depend on what can he do on the offensive end to put it together because that's where there's the potential is fully there. It's getting the reps and the consistency and minutes to realize that potential is what he really needs. I definitely like the nickname Crash. I had not heard that, but I think the Pacers could use a little bit of extra energy. So we will welcome that. Um, there was another player that we we mentioned his name, but didn't really get to touch on. Daniel Tice, a two-time Celtic. Boston simply could not get enough until they, you know, they were able to include him in the trade. Salary-wise, I think he was probably the perfect guy to plug in for Boston. Uh, look, I, I know of the player, but I don't know of the ins and outs of what he's bringing on a nightly basis on and off the court. However, one thing I could say is that Pacers pretty much have not acknowledged his existence. I mean, they, you know, he, I've read he was included in Lakers talks basically to, you know, unload his salary. It's $17.8 million guaranteed over the next two years before he has a 2024, 2025 team option of $9.5 million. Uh, you know, what can the Pacers expect 
on as well as off the court from Daniel Tice? Yeah, uh, the on the court, I think he's very similar in the way he plays to Miles Turner. Um, he is a pick and pop big primarily. Um, I think he's actually a little bit better as a roller uh, to the basket than Turner's. I also think he's a better passer. Um, that's just part of that comes out of if you're going to, uh, grow up playing in Europe, you're going to have to be able to facilitate from the high post some. Um, and I think he can do that. Um, but he's a guy who is a, he, he's rugged inside as far as he'll bang bodies, but he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's, he's really only about six foot eight or six foot nine at the center position. Um, but he's a pretty good shot blocker. He's pretty good as a weak side help guy. So similar ish game to Miles Turner in the way um, he plays. I think Turner's you know obviously a much higher potential kind of player. But Tice, if if he plays, you can feel confident you're going to be okay with him on the floor. Now, I think the the part of you know, hey, if we can move him in a trade, I think that's a hundred percent true. I think they would rather not have that money on the books for next season and let's move off of it. So we'll see. I kind of have my doubts. He makes it past the trade deadline at the the latest, and it's a let's call it a deep in uh, terms of guys who need minutes uh, front court rotation there in Indiana. So I'm not sure how Tice breaks in because I certainly for where the Pacers are going, I would not want to be giving minutes to him over Jalen Smith or even Goga Batadze or even guys like Isaiah Jackson or O'Shea Brissett um, or even Terry Taylor, um, who's just, you know, a very different player, but just guy who factors into that front court mix. Um, And then of course, not over Miles Turner. So I I think you're probably likely he's just going to be there off the court though. Everybody talks about, they love what a great teammate he is. Um, A lot of the Celtics guys would, would have loved to, to have a way to keep him. I think the Celtics would have loved to have a way to keep him, but there would have been no way to make the money work uh, salary matching wise in the uh, trade for um, Malcolm Brogdon, unless they included Tice or a player who they're really counting on to be a bigger part of the rotation. So it, it is what it is that they had to give him up. But I, I think he's somebody that, you know, I'll be a little surprised if he's there, but also he's been played great in Eurobasket. You know, he's really been a big part of Germany's run um, over there and, and done done a lot of stuff. So I, I think he's somebody, um, when he plays, people really, you know, kind of like him. And, you know, if there was any sense of, wow, you know, hey, this came together way faster than we thought and we're actually winning some games, then maybe you see him as part of the mix. But I think as it stands, he's probably going to be pretty uh, far down on the bench. Yeah, I mean, I did see, I want to say he had, maybe it might have been like 10.16 rebounds in his last game for Germany. So you know, it's always nice to, to hear that he is producing. And uh, I think he's probably at this point, kind of like you mentioned, just like an insurance big. I think if they do look to move Turner, um, Daniel Tice is probably attached to that if you want to make the deal a bit a bit bigger. But you're not going to be able to really trade Tice one for one and get back a, a real good talent. So at this point, it'll be more of attaching him. And I don't think the Pacers are looking to move any of their draft picks. If anything, I think it's quite the opposite. Look to acquire more, which kind of brings me into my next point. Look, Boston went through a rebuild, a, a very infamous one. Following the KG Paul Pierce trade with Brooklyn, I mean, Boston had a ton of picks coming their way. While it took a couple of years, Boston found themselves in a spot, while be it with the Nets picks, to find some awesome, sustainable talent for years in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Like I mentioned, the Pacers had three first-round picks coming this year, a boatload of cap space, and young talent in Tyrese Halbert, Benedict Matherin, maybe the not-so-young, but sophomore, Chris Duarte, 
How do you envision this this rebuild playing out? Like, do you see it as a long term rebuild, or is this something that maybe the Pacers can kind of speed up and maybe it only have like a two two three year rebuild? I think there is a potential for that. And I do trust their front office. I think they've largely over the years made really good, smart decisions um, with their roster. I think, especially knowing some of the limitations, it's, it, it's not uh, unlike where Boston was for many, many years, not a major free agent destination, right? Not somewhere where, where you hear, you know, linked to a million different guys and those kind of things. But yeah, every year they cranked out consistently good teams. And I also trust that group if they're building, building through the draft to really probably get it right uh, more often than not. I think getting Tyrese Halliburton as it was, you know, determined last year at the trade deadline, it's time to go in a different direction. What, what a steal. I, I don't think you could be almost starting from a, better place than he being kind of this is our guy going forward i think that's you know a home run uh for the pacers i think as you mentioned they've done a good job kind of getting guys and then almost uh giving them that second draft um jalen smith what what a hit that was um you know he really looks like like a player now and i think he's going to be pretty good i think i think duarte is the kind of guy i know he's a little older as you referenced but I think he's somebody who you can feel pretty good about for the next uh, few years, at least as being a part of your rotation. And maybe down the line, he's somebody you put into a trade or something like that. I think Benedict Matherin's going to be really good uh, for them. I think eventually that's the long-term running mate for Halliburton uh, there. I think that gives you really excellent size in your backcourt. And then Isaiah Jackson's a guy I am super high on. Um, I think he has a chance to be, you know, something as well. So I like that they've got kind of guys all over over the place the small forward position maybe a little bit of a question mark we'll see i think it's probably Big gonna time. be a lot of a lot of duarte a lot of neesmith just a lot of terry taylor we'll, we're gonna plug guys in there and we'll figure it out and play around it and that's fine i mean the league's going increasingly smaller and smaller all the time so so you just kind of sort through that and you're probably fine if you're really playing more three guard looks and those kind of things but I, I i'm super high on the direction they took as weird as this may sound over the last couple of years, I'd kind of been hammering the drum of, or where are we going with this? Like this team's always mm-hmm. going to be good, but they're never going to be great. I was done with the Turner Sabonis pairing. I was ready to split that thing up and move them on. And, 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 and I really like Demonis Sabonis. I was a huge fan of Me his. Too. Um, but, but I was, you know, I was surprised when they made the deal they made, but it was, I think it was time. And and I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, I think, you know, I'm located in Orlando despite mm-hmm. covering Boston and the people here are they're now kind of the second full year of their, their rebuilding process after tearing down a, you know, a mediocre playoff team and people here are beyond exciting for where they're going. And I think that's where the Pacers could be. Yeah. Is it going to be a whole bunch of losses? Sure. But I'll take an additional 10, 15, 20 losses on the season if it means I get to see a whole bunch of kids that I'm excited about and then end up with a really nice draft pick on the end of it because I think that's going to be a uh, way back to contention a lot quicker uh, than others. But, yeah, with the picks, the, the some of the talent they have in place and then the, the boatloads of cap space that they have, that's great because what gets forgotten a lot with cap space is even if you're not a free agent destination, you can use cap space and trades as teams have proven over and over again. No doubt. And your Orlando Magic analogy is great because they have a really promising roster right now. They're Of course, they're young. They're too young right now. 
But that's what happens in a rebuild. And mm-hmm. I, I really do think that if Orlando is able to continue to develop these players, they could have something here, something far more sustainable than, you know, Vucevic, uh, you know, Terrence Ross and and a bunch of guys that was never really going to get out of the first round. And if they did, they weren't going to make it any further than that. So I think they raised the ceiling on what that team could be. And when you're mentioning with the Pacers, I mean, Talk about Duarte. He was all-rookie second team. I firmly believe Bendik Mathurin could be all-rookie first team. I think he has that talent. So, And then also, when you're starting a rebuild, I like to think of a guy like Tyrese Halliburton as almost, if you're rebuilding a football team, finding that franchise quarterback. It starts with if you can find a great point guard that can make others better around him, you got something over there. So, yeah, the Pacers still have some holes to fill. It's more like a sinkhole at the three, like you mentioned. <laughs> I mean, there is really there's, – there's not much there. You're going to have to play some guys out of position, but at the same point, you know, that's what we're seeing going on in the NBA. And that kind of leads me into next, the Spurs, the Jazz, the Pacers, three teams that are now officially embarking on a rebuild. I mean, we saw the Spurs start to really fizzle out towards the end of last year. We saw the Jazz – being major sellers. We've already talked about the Pacers. Then in terms of teams that have already started that rebuild, they're about a year or two in. I mean, maybe even more. you got the Rockets, OKC, um, the Magic, the Pistons. They're in the midst of a rebuild. Who do you see as perhaps the bottom three teams in the league that are really looking to make a serious run at Victor Wembanyama and the top overall draft pick? And like I said before, Keith, there is no offense if the Pacers are brought up. No, I think they're going to be in that mix. I think, I think Detroit is maybe a little bit ahead. I think so. so. I'm, I'm going to take them out, and, and I think they are also trying to be better. Um, I think so. I think they're trying to push up. Um, I think, I just don't know what to make of the Spurs. Um, part of me wants to write them off completely and say this is it. They're going to fully bottom this thing out, but. But then I look at him like it's the Spurs. I wouldn't be surprised if they pulled out 35 wins somehow out of that group. But I think OKC was going to be, I I like to call them step forward seasons. Better, right? But without Chet Holmgren, Mm -hmm. I don't know now. I think they're down there. I think Orlando, as you mentioned, they're just too young to be good. So I would say the teams that are fully in the mix, Orlando and Indiana in the East. I think, without a doubt, they're the two worst teams in the Eastern Conference. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the West, Utah, they're hit, you know, certainly headed very, very uh, in that direction. If they can complete trades for guys like Bogdanovich and uh, Conley and those guys, that they're going to fully be, uh, you know, they'll probably be the worst team in the league uh, nice so. tonight. And then Houston, San Antonio, OKC. Let, let's see, you know what what comes together with those. I, I think the Rockets, if they could start to move forward, they'd be okay with it. Because the challenge in Houston is um, they've almost pushed the limits of how many draft picks can Agreed. you have to an extreme. They've mm-hmm. drafted seven guys in the first round in the last two drafts. I mean, that's over. You know, that's basically a half a you know standard roster. Yep. So they they're, they're going to have to start figuring some stuff out, and they've got some extra picks still coming their way. Um, OKC similar ish boat. Um, you know, OKC's in a position where they had to wave a guy like Isaiah Roby, who a lot of people kind of like just because mm-hmm. they didn't have the roster spots um, for, to, to keep him around. So I think we're in a position where we are going to see these guys um, you know, go. Now, one of those teams will certainly end up playing better than we expect. Yeah. Um, but then, and then some team we haven't even mentioned will be far worse than what we think, you know, they'll have this season, kind of like what happened to the Pacers, right? Yeah, it's, I agree with that. They could be a playoff team, but the wheels kind of come off and it all falls apart on them. Um, 
So that'll certainly happen to somebody else. But yeah, those those are the teams I think that are definitely in the mix there. I, I think it's uh, I think what we're gonna see is almost a run to uh, let's call it the holidays because we get past that December fifteenth window when the vast majority of the guys signed over the summer can be traded, and it's gonna be all right. Who needs what? And you're gonna start seeing any, anybody who's a veteran on a handful of those teams, they're going to be sold off and moved along as those teams. Uh, let's put it, put it politely, reprioritize minutes for younger players. Yeah, that is definitely the correct way to put it uh, from an NBA standpoint. Um, I, I do see the jazz. It's inevitable that they will be sellers. I mean, yeah. Jordan Clarkson was another name. Uh, I mean, these are guys that I think that even if they can't fetch first round picks, I think it's just going to become almost understood, hey, we're going to try and find a home for you guys on a Mm -hmm. contender and and see what we can bring in. Because they're another team, I mean, they accumulated quite a few draft picks, (laughs) you know, this summer. And just pretty much similar to what you mentioned for Houston, almost enough draft picks to not really know if you're going to really be able to make it all work, but I, I assume they'll figure it out. And then with the Spurs, I just think they're going to continue to be sellers. You look at a guy like Doug McDermott, who, while he's only making about $13 million, is the highest paid player on the team. You yeah. got Josh Richardson over there. It doesn't fit the timeline over there. And, nope. you know, it, it, so those are guys that I think that will be traded. Uh, the Spurs, it, it's, I'm with you. It's hard to ever really imagine them bottoming out because they've had pretty much outside this past season, like, two bad years since, you know, David Robinson joined the team, basically. It was like they timed it perfectly when David Robinson got hurt right around 1997 that they won the number one pick. They got the number one pick right over there. Draft Tim Duncan, boom, you, you start the next 20 years. And then yeah, now, was, yeah. Hey, sorry, I'm going to interrupt just because this is a stat that absolutely still blows me away. It was This was before the last couple tough years for the Spurs. But in their first 44 years in the NBA – they made the playoffs in 40 seasons. Unbelievable. And in the two year, two of the years that they didn't, they got David Robinson and Tim Duncan. Just <laughs> so that's, perfect that, timing, that's how you honestly. put together a 40 year, you know, run of, you know, excellence. And then a really, a, what was it? 22 years or whatever of straight playoff appearances. Like it's, it's just unbelievable. You know, talk about, you know, all right, we picked the right years to be bad. I mean, you can't pick better years to be bad. So sorry to interrupt you, but that no, no. always blows me. No, it was, it was a great stat. And that honestly makes me feel like a guy like pop who's been around you know, it could easily be thinking a guy like Victor Wembanyama. He is that sort of talent. Absolutely. Like it, it really yeah. does feel like. You know, I know they always say generational talent, but this player seems very special to the point where if the Spurs are able to to land him in the draft, it feels like that could kickstart the next decade plus right over there. So it'll be interesting to see how far they really bottom out. But there are definitely a lot of teams that are you know going to be sellers and, and you know really try and hit the reset button. I think when you mentioned earlier, you know, a a few questions ago with the Pacers, it was time because they were constantly getting bounced in the first round. And I know we take pride in making the playoffs, but fans after a while can't be fooled. They want to, they want to know, can I believe in this team to win it all? Or, or do we just take pride in making it to the first round and getting bounced? And I think this was long overdue. And when you mentioned to what they're doing in Orlando, I'm excited for that this year. I have more excitement going into this year than I had last year because I looked at it and I thought, yeah, maybe this team could be a 500 team or so. Now I'm like, look, I know it's going to be ugly, but there's a lot of young talent over here and we're only adding to it. So uh, yeah. I would like to transition over before we you know, wrap up to kind of the exact opposite end of the spectrum. And that's 
Who do you think comes out of the East this year? And I wouldn't blame you if you are a bit biased saying Boston. Yeah, I, you know, I want to say Boston, and, and I'm kind of in the middle of finalizing my my stuff here. What, what I do is I sit down and and I break every every each conference into tiers because um, I, I tend to think it's it can be very hard to pick you know this team and this team. Um, so what I try to do is is I, I am uh, very um, much I try to say all right it can be one of these three teams and in the east i have boston milwaukee and philadelphia in, in my top tier um i have brooklyn right behind them because i i just don't know what to make of that situation i i, I find it hard to believe they're all going to show up for training camp in a couple weeks you're like hey how are you did you have a good summer yeah let's get to work right like yeah. that just seems un, unrealistic so you could tell me anybody out of Boston, Milwaukee, and Philly is going to make it. I probably lean Boston or Milwaukee just slightly over Philly. Just it's been hard to trust the Sixers in the playoffs. Um, but I, I'm not going to argue with you too much out of that. So I I think Boston's right in that mix. Had they not lost Danilo Gallinari, I would have had them. You know, really, and I would have said, yeah, they're the favorite. If they don't get out of the East, something went wrong. Um, not to the point where they're going to be you know ten games better than anybody, but I just felt like they were built for both regular season and playoff success. Without Gallo, we'll we'll see. I, they they need they need somebody else now has to step forward, give them at least regular season minutes because the last thing they want to do. We saw it. They ran out of gas in the finals they did. against the Warriors. You don't want to get there and after Tatum and Brown had to log, you know, 38, 40 minutes per game in the regular season just to get you there. So they need somebody, you know, to step forward, whether that player's on the roster yet or not, or it's just, you know, weird lineup combinations. I, I honestly think Malcolm Brogdon is probably going to play a lot at the three now without mm -hmm. Gallo in there just because they're going to have to do something. Um, So I think there's going to be a lot of three guard lineups for them that feature, you know, Brogdon, Derek White, Marcus Smart, Peyton Pritchard, uh, some three of those four guys together, just because I think you almost have to do that. But, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see, you know, where that goes, um, you know, from, from that standpoint. It'll definitely be interesting. I mean, Boston, it just feels like, their time had been coming. I mean, you look back, I think it was a 2017-2018 season when Boston makes it to, it was game seven of the conference finals against yeah. LeBron. Because yep. that was the same year the Pacers pushed, pushed LeBron and the Cavs to game seven in the first round. And everybody felt like Boston would be back. And it took a couple of years. And finally, they were able to break through, make it to the finals last year. And I, I feel like that experience is always like, you need to have that tough loss to really come back and say, you come in the next year and saying we're going for it all, we're winning. It. And I, I do have my eyes on Boston. And when we did it, when Alex and I did a prediction, I did have Boston finishing as the one seed. Definitely a tough loss losing Gallinari because I felt like he would have fit a really good role for the Celtics. So, lastly, I would say, what's your finals uh, matchup prediction? Yeah, right now, um, for for me is I, I would pick. Um, I, I'm gonna lean towards Boston and the Clippers. Okay. Um, I just I look at that Clippers team and I just see. I mean, their depth is outrageous. It is, and there are times when you look at these teams where it's, do they have too many guys? Like, like is that it is? How are they going to keep everybody you know happy? But I think one, you have Ty Lue, one of the most respected coaches mm -hmm. around. Then you also have the fact of, yeah, they get a lot of guys, but you know what? Guys like Kawhi, Paul George, some of their older other older vets, they're going to sit a lot. So it's going to be very easy to be like, hey, you know, uh, Terrence Mann and Amir Coffey and some of the lower bench guys, you're not going to get in tonight, but tomorrow night you got 25, 30 minutes because we're not going to play Kawhi. 
you know, in the second night of a back-to-back or the, you know, uh, third game in, you know, four nights or whatever it is where we're going to, you know, really, you know, take it easy with them. So I think that Clippers team is going to be really, really good. And I, and, and I'll, I'll pick Boston because of something that you said is I think after finally breaking through, you're not going to see this team had issues in the whole first half of last yep, season. I mean, definitely. it was a mess. And I think you're going to see a team that's going to come out very, very focused and ready to go. And is going to really kind of be on the attack um, right from the jump or right, right, right from the start of the start of uh, the game. So I, I think we'll, we'll uh, you know, I think you're going to see a team that is, we're not going to be talking about them around January first of all. Hey, why are they under five hundred? Yep. I think they're they're going to be you know really solid right from the get go. I just think it changes the whole mindset mentality when you come into mm-hmm. the year expecting to win it all, and only a handful of teams really expect to win it all. But to your point with the Clippers, uh, you're talking about Kawhi Leonard and John Wall did not play last year, so they should be rested. I know that Kawhi was coming off of a torn ACL, uh, but at the same point, a full year off, he should be fresh. John Wall's got a lot to prove, and I just think for the Clippers, that's another one of those teams that everyone's been waiting for them to break through, Mm -hmm. and and I think at this point, you know, at least least a run to the conference finals, maybe uh, a run to the NBA finals could definitely be in their cards. So, Keith, I definitely appreciate you coming back on. It's always a blast. Tell everyone where they could find you out on social media and some of the awesome content that you're putting out. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at KeithSmithNBA. Uh, you can find my written work if you're interested in roster stuff, which when you're sitting on what I project to be 50 plus million in cap space, like the Pacers might be, mm-hmm. you might be a little bit more interested in that than usual. Uh, you can find that work over at Spot Track. Uh, you can find Celtics specific coverage at Celtics blog. And then if you like uh, all the transaction talk and roster stuff and just league news as a whole, uh, Trevor and Lane and I host the NBA front office show uh, over on YouTube, as well as uh, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you can find us on there. We're, uh, we're still on our off season schedule, which is two to three times a week. But uh, once the season starts up we're daily monday through friday hey keith that appreciation and look forward to you coming back on the show soon enough uh hey thanks for coming on i appreciate it thank you for having me pacer nation what is going on it is your boy mike Fachi here man i I still know alex golden we just keep missing each other but Fear not, the band is getting back together. You can't keep the boys apart for too long. But I also do have a special guest coming on, the one and only Keith Smith, making his setting the pace return. It had been a while, but Keith always comes on at least once a year, maybe twice. Uh, talk about a little bit of uh, you know Pacers and Celtics, two teams going in opposite directions. But also, Keith knows very well what we can expect out of Aaron Neesmith, as well as Daniel Tice. Will the Pacers get the the Celtics' first-round pick? Yeah, I'm thinking they do, but we're also going to cover that. And what a rebuild can be like for the Pacers as Boston went through one. And look, I know they had a boatload of picks coming in, but Boston's coming off a run of the finals. They got a great young core over there. I'm hoping that the Pacers can duplicate some of that success on their own time. Remember, it did take the Celtics a couple years in order to get it right. But that's what comes with picking high, and the Pacers have that opportunity. So we'll be breaking down who could be the teams, you know, picking in the top three this year. Uh, but you know, you know, I always end up playing spoilers, so don't want to ruin any more of this for you. I'm going to bring on Keith himself, and let me get out of the way, and we will be right back. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The legend himself, Keith Smith. You heard it all. Keith is always, he's a salary cap expert, but also just great insight on the game of basketball from whether it's the Pacers, uh, the Celtics, the NBA in general. Uh, love, love Keith's work. Definitely give him a follow. Uh, and, uh, you know, guys, like I said before, I mean, it's been too long since Alex and I have gotten back on the mic together. So next week, we will be back at it. I am just a, a brand new uncle. I had to, you know, make a trip to see, uh, meet my nephew for the first time. So that was pretty special. Uncle Foch in the building, aka on Zoom. But you can find us on social media at on Twitter. That's at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F A C C I. You could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at setting the pace. You can find us on TikTok, Setting the Pace, and you can check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash setting the pace of Pacers podcast. Give us, a, give us a thumbs up over there. Subscribe. We really appreciate it. If we can get you guys to take about five to ten seconds out of your day, leave us a review. Hopefully we've earned a five-star review, but just leave some feedback. Always, always trying to deliver the content that you want to hear so please let us know we have the best listeners out there i appreciate you and at the end of the day if you're just itching for some pacer basketball i'm gonna hit you with three words let's go pacers setting the pace going to the